Welcome back to another episode of Spilling Your Weekly Tea, and these are the international headlines of the of the past week. We have first on our list, Prince Philip of Edinburgh, husband to Queen Elizabeth II, passes away at age 99 over the weekend. Also, we have a fourth wave of COVID-19 could possibly hit Canada's youth with increasing number of cases as a large popularity of the vaccine has been going to the elderly. We have Croatia, a new country to be dark red on the travel risk map, not allowing any visitors from outside the country. Also, we have Ukraine as they call for the U.S. support as Russia masses thousands of troops near the country's war zone border. Wars ahead. We'll keep you updated with the following week. Hello, I'm Jorge Tapia, and this is the China National News. First of all, we're starting with Chinese officials says local vaccines don't have high protection rates. China's top disease control official has said the efficacy of the country's COVID vaccines is low in a rare admission of weakness. In a press conference, Gao Food added that China was considering mixing vaccines as a way of boosting efficacy. China has developed four different vaccines approved for public use, though some trials abroad had suggested efficacy as low as 50%. More than 100 million people in China have received at least one shot of the vaccine. The second news is that Alibaba accepts record China fine and vows to change. Chinese tech giant Alibaba said on Monday that it accepted a record penalty imposed by the country's anti-monopoly regulator. The fine amounts to about 4% of the company's 2019 domestic revenue. Alibaba Group's executive vice chairman Zhou Tsai indicated that regulators have taken an interest in platforms like Alibaba as they grow in importance. And that's all for the national news. Hi, my name is David, and today's news is going to be about the growing tension between U.S. and China. Recently, there's been tensions between China and its regional neighbors in the South China and Philippine Seas increased markedly this week. Naval exercises by both the United States and China have massed an unusual number of warships in the South China Sea at a time of renewed diplomatic friction, as concerns over China's territorial ambitions, ambitions I'm, I'm sorry, grow. The U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has discussed with his Philippine counterpart China's recent positioning of militia vessels near the Philippines. Mr. Austin spoke by phone with the Secretary of National Defense, Delphine Lorenzana, while he was flying from Washington to Israel to begin an international trip. I quote, I had a productive call with SND Lorenzana to discuss challenges in the South China Sea and the need for unity in ensuring security and stability in the region, end quote. China has said its vessels are there for fishing, in the phone call, Mr. Austin proposed to Mr. Lorenzana several measures to deepen the defense cooperation, including by enhancing situational awareness of threats in the South China Sea. But he did not elaborate, though.
Mr. Kerry said earlier this week that the aircraft carried USS Theodore Roosevelt and its strike group, as well as amphibious ship USS Mackin Island, are operating in the South China Sea. Hopefully this doesn't escalate as they are going to be making uh, pretty soon. If I remember correctly, they're in the diplomatic friction right now and they're going to renew it. So it would be pretty bad if they start breaking up right before last second. Um, the name's David and we'll be back right after these commercials. Hi, I'm Christina and today in the section of Economy and Finance, we are going to talk about the economy of China. The economy of the Republic of China is a market-oriented economy that incorporates economic planning through industrial policies and strategic five-year plans. Dominated by state-owned enterprises and mixed own ownerships, enterprises, the economy also consists of a large domestic private sector and openness to foreign business in a system described as a socialist market economy. The GDP of China is about 15.42 trillion in 2020, with domestic and foreign private business and investment accounting for the remaining of 60%. The currency is the yuan. And now we're going to talk about the changes of the currency versus the peso. The yuan is 3.07 pesos. The euro is in 23.94 pesos. And the dollar is 20.11 pesos. And that's all for this section. Today on World News, a woman has made history in the United Arabs as the country's first female astronaut. Noura Al-Mutashi is one of the two new astronauts for the UAE's Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center astronaut program. The UAE Pre Vice President and Prime Minister, Minister Shakir Rohamed, announced on Twitter that she was chosen with Al-Muhar Al-Mua, two of over 4,000 candidates who applied to the program. Uh, she announced, the nation gave me unforgettable moments today. I aim to work in hard to describe history, historical moments and achievements that will be etched forever in the memory of our people. I think our wise leadership and the team of UAE astronaut program and be ready to end for my work. This is, this is a very historic moment, yet that because they are letting women into such enormous fields when it was not even common back then or even thinkable for women to actually achieve such huge roles. That, that That's just an amazing story. Now, moving on to, you could say, public areas. The airports have become voluntary, voluntary long-term stays for homeless people at the airports. So this has increased over the years but mostly now in 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic people are starting to reside in airports well because of course 
airports have the you can say the number one survival kit they have food shelter security hospitals fine dining and mass transportation so many homeless people have started to reside there and it is very hard for police officers and others to spot them because they blend to the crowds and it's very easily for them to just stay in one spot if when when an airport is so huge because you can never really tell if they're going to a passenger or a homeless person because obviously as we know many airports delay um flights because of the weather weather conditions somewhere else so that has risen in the in the past few months and there's many many stories of where people have lived in airports for many years some stay weeks months some some very very for very many years and it's very incredible to hear this because it's very hard to spot them in in a crowd of so many people of in a crowd of 1.5 million to 2.5 million people a day so it's hard to spot them but it is it is very inc- incredible how people can reside in airports hello guys uh, my name is Avne and today we're going to be talking about china so china is a large country with widely varying landscapes its territory includes mountains, high plateaus, sandy deserts, and dense forests. And also, China has thousands of rivers. The official name is People's Republic of China. The capital is Beijing, Pekin. The population is 1,444 billion people. The official languages are the standard Chinese and Mandarin. And their currency is the Yuan. Some info about people and culture. So with a population of 1.4 billion, China has more people than any other country on earth. About a third of the population lives in cities. The rest of the people live in the country. Arts and crafts have a long history in China. Thousands of years ago, the Chinese were some of the first people to use silk, jade, bronze, wood, and paper to make art. The artistic writing called calligraphy was invented in China. Confucius, also known as Confucius, taught people the value of such things as morality, kindness, and education. For government and economy, China is an authoritarian state ruled by a very powerful central government. A huge workforce and lots of natural resources have driven economic change. This has forced the communist government to permit more economic and personal freedoms, but it has come at a huge cost to the environment. Many experts predict that the 21st century will be the Chinese century. The top places to visit in China are Yunnan, Wuyin, Chengdu, Tibet, and Beijing. Finally, I'm going to share with you some fun facts about China. So, spreading Downing, rounding, and burping are normal behaviors when you eat in China. One in every five human is Chinese. Chinese army has the biggest number of soldiers in the world, more than two million people. China is the owner of all pandas. And finally, due to the huge population of China, almost every religion of the world is adored there. The most popular are Taoism, Confucianism, and Buddhism.
So, in this following chapter of the book, Orientalism, uh, we have an interesting point of view. And to tie in first what was talked about in the introduction of the book, the first section, we have what is Orientalism. And we have that basically Europe is like the center of all the things born in today's society, you know? Everything that's been created or established and tendencies and trends has been thanks to to Europe and its culture and its evolutionizing ways. So we have uh, an interesting aspect where we see Europe as, if we look at this as a point of view, as a first pro- person point of view they're the main character of the world and everything else is just secondary or support to uh what what it's europe and so with the book it talks about how all these trends have came to be and how basically europe has isolated you know um other countries due to contrasting beliefs and these are topics that we can discuss based on orientalism on the impacts that they have on europe and so impacts that we see nowadays in society can be how europe has you know the perfect travel destinations and even just studying in Europe, it's just a plus on your resume, your curriculum. You know, you're already getting boosted up for having education higher up than your own national country. And also um, a contrasting factor that was mentioned in the book, um, in the chapters that, that we've come along to read, uh, mentions how it's contrast against the U.S. and it is it is very contrasting beliefs and also not to leave behind their neighbors, their Islamic country neighbors. That is also a huge huge uh, butt of the heads because of how Islam is portrayed. And that is all thanks to Europe. Europe has been in charge of giving an image of what the Islam is to society nowadays. And the impacts that we've uh, come to know from that is that basically tries, Europe tries to minimize all the good things that those countries have done for the world. You know, their different apportations and their contributions to the scientific world to the culture because even though many of our words and and things of of that sort nature you know have come from europe countries the the roots and all that but thanks to islam we have many more open doors so that's another that we have to look out for on an impact that that has had on Europe. And also, even though the US and other European countries can be mentioned, uh, Europe tends to look away from Latin America in terms of investing or creating more uh, 
companies. I mean, the the labor work might be a little bit more cheaper, but you don't hear big brand names established here. Uh, for example, in Mexico, Latin America, we're not looked at even as contenders. So that's something that we have to look at for Orientalism and and the aspect that it's which it's come to be known. So very interesting book, very interesting chapters so far. I know there's more to discover and I can't wait. Now we're going to talk about the second chapter of the book that is the Orientalism. The Orientalism is a field of study. It is considered that it's formal existing beginning in the Western Union. With the decision taken in 1312 by the Council of Vienna to establish a series of shares of Arab, Greek, Hebrew, and Syriac in Paris, Oxford, Bologna, etc., in order to realize what Orientalism is. We must not only consider the professional orientalist and his work, but we also need to analyze the very notion of this field of study, which is based on a geographical, cultural, linguistic, and ethnic unity in the East. It is clear that fields of study are created and that over time they acquire coherence and integrity because scholars devote themselves with devotion to what appears to be a common discipline. This is true as, a long, as long as we don't consider the possibility that perhaps the definition of the field is not as simple as is its most convenient supporters claim, usually scholars, teachers, experts, etc. Um, important reasons to talk about this is to speak of a scientific, scientific speciality that is restricted to a geographical camp, campo. Um, in the case of Orientalism, rather revealing because probably no one can imagine a symmetrical field called Westernism. The particular, perhaps even eccentric, attitude of Orientalism. It, all of these define the Orientalism as academic discipline that serves to highlight the specific of discipline, its historical evolution has generally tended to increase, and that's all. Now, as my partner said before, the chapter two does try to make, try to explain the orientalism, why the people decided to take X side and forget about the academic side, but there is also this. Aside from Orientalism, there's also this other thing that the chapter decided to cover, uh, that it's called Philology. And it, it explains how not as easy to comprehend as philosophy or history, this one is, is still a science that should be considered and that can be like a subdivision of this chapter and 
if I remember correctly, it, I think it was part as a subdivision of Orientalism. And like, like, like they said before, Orientalism doesn't need to be just one-sided. It doesn't have to be, oh, theology has to be academic, no. It has many branches regarding this. And the book decides to cover all, all of that. They decided to make this chapter about how it impacted, how, how many of these branches affected Orientalism, just like my partner said, how it evolves and all of that. And philo philology is one of those that the book decided to uh, go deep, if you want to call it, if you want to say it some way, no? I decided to to look for people that were famous for it. I decided to quote people. And it was quite interesting in this regard. In this regard, as philology, I didn't know about it, not this much, until this book talk about it and how people reacted to this. Even Nietzsche had something to say regarding this, or, and Frederick and many other people that were famous. And that's what I take from this chapter in particular, philology and what my partner said, what Christie said, are all, I, I believe they are all appropriate to what the chapter 2 was all about.